Abysses, aka responsible, proper social distance shit talking from spare bedrooms across exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. We will challenge your assumptions and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, poke fun, and emote at anyone especially ourselves. So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from this secular perspective. And this time, we are fucking serious. And remember, don't believe everything you hear in this podcast or anywhere else for that matter until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go, that shit. So we're going to get a not-safe-for-work slapped on us by all the podcast gods. Very quickly. Because you couldn't hide it 30 minutes in. It's 30 seconds in. Going to be that kind of episode. (laughs) And by the way, how freaking appropriate that this is episode 68. It just dawned on me as we started taping. 1968. Oh. A lot of riots in 1968. Big time, man. That That was a long, hot summer and year. And boy, if we're not there now. Yeah. It's probably a bad time to ask you to subscribe. And give us five stars because <laughs> it's such a downer this week. But give us five stars because the man won't like it if you do. You will be fighting the man. And if you don't agree with us, tell us at Twitter, the increasingly bootlicking Facebook, or at godlessheathens at yahoo.com. So what you drinking, Jeff? What I'm drinking is uh, Wild Heaven Brewery has some beers they brewed kind of for the, the virus theme. So the first one I'm... Virus-themed Well, beer. in other words, a lockdown kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Quarantine COVID-19 beer. PA. So so the one I have that I'm drinking right now is a rye India pale ale called We Will Meet Again. And... It's a rye, you said? A rye IPA. So it's, kind of, it's, it's a different taste than just a regular IPA because they're using... Rye is one of the grains rather than just uh, barley. So I don't, huh. know, I don't know how to describe the difference, but there's a different, definite difference. Then the next one on my lineup, just so I can just get it out of the way, is uh, it's a chocolate Baltic porter called Zoom Fatigue. Because anybody that's <laughs> working, uh, you know, from home, you know, what on the office. I like that one. That an awesome name. Yeah. I was just going to say the critique part is every brewery has some beer called Socially Distant or Socially Distance. And yep. like like it is it got old fast, but Zoom fatigue. I like that. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a great name. I've got an Italian Sangiovese. I'm gonna try this. We had a little consternation before the show trying to figure out how, exactly how you say this. De Mayo Norante. Is that close? Perfect. 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 Perfecto. It's yeah, but yeah, this is a, like I said, it's a Sangiovese. It's a it's a Italian red wine. It's a little on the lighter side, but I, I am a big fan of the Sangiovese. So uh, yeah, very good. And I am drinking a Thirst IPA from Heist Brewery in Charlotte. So if we're ever allowed to travel again, that'd be a good beer trip to go to Charlotte. 
and visit Heist. Pretty good stuff. Thus ends the lighthearted portion of the show. So where do you begin oh, man. a week like this? I'm not on Facebook. I did plenty of Twitter, though, and I can't imagine the vibe was that different. Even the local Nextdoor app was just smoking with outrage, outraged reactions to outrage. People talking about how when the rioters come up to our neighborhood, Mr. Smith and Wesson are going to meet him. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. On, on What was that, Nextdoor, you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, what is this? What's this app? Nextdoor. That, that's a social media app? Don't do it, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> no, no. Don't do no. it. Just just take my word for it. If you need to sell some lawn chairs for 15 bucks, it's the perfect app for you, but you should you of all people should stay off it. Uh, okay, so it's your next door neighbors doing Facebook right there. No, that would not be good. I don't want to know what my neighbors think. And nothing but your neighbors. Oh, jeez. Hyper local. That could be dangerous. Now, I was looking forward to talking about the states opening back up tonight when we signed off last time. That's what I thought. That'll be the topic du jour when, when we roll back around again. Well, little did I know. It takes a lot to push COVID off yeah, the map. Yeah. For the last two months, every TV show, every newscast, every podcast has been about COVID. And I haven't seen anything, really, in the last, what, five, six, seven days? No. Everything's been about the act itself. The aftermath, the riots, and, and the aftermath of, of, of the riots. Yeah, the response to the riots. And this is going to sound almost trite, but after it's been uh, however many days now, how do you feel? Because I know that I have gone from disgust to rage to avoidance. If I don't put Twitter down, my head's going to explode. And I'm not part of the affected class. Like, I'm not part of the affected group. It's still been not exhausting, but maybe part of the frustration is you don't feel like you can do squat about it. That was the word that came to my mind was frustration. Just an overwhelming sense of frustration and ineffectiveness. Well, at least charges were brought by the Attorney General of the state of Minnesota against the other officers as well. I think the uh, the policeman that uh, murdered him got, was it second degree? The policeman himself got third degree murder charges third and degree. Okay. second degree manslaughter okay. charges. The way I understood it was they need to go in with a slam dunk. Hang on, hang, hang on. So what? Because premeditation is harder to prove right. and intent is harder to right. prove. It, it is. That's, for, that's first degree. That's second degree. Third degree murder is you did X, which resulted in the death of somebody, period. Doesn't matter what your intentions were. Doesn't matter what your premeditated thoughts were. Doesn't matter any of that. It's just A happened, which caused B, slam dunk. We have sailed so far past that now. But when, when the charges first came out, that was the big outrage was why is it a third degree? And, and the, what I heard was that was the reason why they went with that is because it's not a slap on the wrist. This isn't, you know, picking up trash for on weekends. This is up to 25 years in prison. Oh, OK. These guys are rarely convicted. There's controversy uh, also in Atlanta about the guys that were charged for roughing up those folks on camera. For tasing the, the students in their car and yanking them out of their car for being out past curfew. All the above. 
And like George Floyd, it was on TV. This, in this case, it was on live TV. And, and what I mean that we've gone past this is the only thing that's going to change because of George Floyd and the legal system handling it from here is if these guys get off. And if that's the case, it, it would be, it, I don't even want to think about it because it's going to be super ugly and it's already super ugly now. I mean, you saw what happened when just two of the uh, Rodney King, two got off, two were convicted. And, and you saw what happened in, in the aftermath of that. I, I can't imagine not just Minneapolis, but across the country. That's exactly the reason, because it's already around the country. I saw video of the police cracking heads in Omaha. It's around the world now. You've got protesters in London and all across Europe and Australia. Countries all around the world that are protesting in solidarity with the American protesters. And George Floyd is like, like a tipping point. And these guys should be brought to justice. But you watch. Actually, don't watch unless you have a strong stomach. Because there's kind of only a couple of ways the main perpetrator is going to be defended. And one of them is just flat out, I'm a cop and it's dangerous. And if you convict him, you hate cops throwing gas on the fire. Because they're going to do whatever they can to get their client off. And if they go full MAGA hat and he gets off, look, it's going to suck either way. If he gets off... There's going to be powder keg furor. If he gets convicted, you're going to hear about it from the aggrieved right or ever. It has weaponry. Oh, big time. Big time. Well, I just, I'm looking at this thing where, um, so they upgraded the charge to second degree. But second degree, third degree. I, mean, I don't know, even know what yeah. the difference is. Right. Neither do I. But wasn't Amy Klobuchar the DA of that county? And she didn't have a great record of convicting cops. So it's pretty systemic and it's nothing new. But what is new is the overall I don't give a shit moment and the overall we're going to crack down on you police and administration response. And that, to me, is the scariest part. Crack down on who? Anybody in the street holding a sign. Well, that's what goes beyond just the racism. I don't know if this has been really talked about intentionally on the news, but it's a militaristic, what's the word I'm looking for? Militaristic. Militarization. Militarization of the police force. The way that they were smacking those journalists, I mean, I mean you know, it's just off the rails. Right. But the, I was going to say radical left, but that's a terrible way to put it. The people who have been active in this for a long time would say, you're just paying attention now. Your privilege is showing because it's nothing new. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that at all. In our day-to-day -day life lives, we don't come across it very often. No, but when you see in the news reports, and I can't remember how long ago this was, that some small dinky county in Georgia was getting some of these Humvee tanks and things like that. This has been going on for years. This started in response to 9-11. It was Homeland Security, that new administration, when they came in, they had all this new money and everything was greenlit and all this money was spent uh, and given to all these different police forces where all this tactical gear, right. armored personnel carriers in the suburbs. Well, you're getting militarized personnel because a lot of the police forces fire former vets 
come home. They're from familiar the war. with the equipment, and it's not yeah. just that that they that they're accustomed to the residents of whatever city they're in. They're the potential enemy. The citizenry is the enemy. There's no army that they were up against. So you know that kind of mentality carried over. They come back with a mentality of one of an occupying force. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, you know, look, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm as white as you guys. But if you guys are just paying attention to this and you're just cluing into it now, your privilege is way showing. That privilege is showing below your skirt all the way to your ankle. <laughs> That's an interesting description there, Jerry. Thank you. Well, first of all, I'm Cajun and you're Italian, so pump your brakes on the on the white. Right? So, you know. Sorry. Honky. Now, there was some, something I've been thinking about, and, and we can talk about this, we can explore this. What is it about this particular case that has created such a fervor? Because it's not like this is the first time a black man has been killed by a white police officer. This is not the first time a black man has been killed by a white police officer on cell phone video that has gone viral. As bad as it is to say, this is not an uncommon occurrence. I think you answered your own question now. In what way? That it's so not new that populace just snapped. But what was it that caused that snap? I think it was the virus and the lockdown. People are already on edge. It's like everybody's already at a boiling point. It's like you you force everybody to stay home for, for three months and we're ready to claw each other's eyes out. And this was the spark that ignited the powder keg. And we all know that the lockdowns affected different groups in different ways. Way differently, yes. You know, minority communities die way more frequently. They were forced to go back to work or never work or lost their jobs, along with millions of other people have lost their jobs. Because when people take to the streets, they don't have anything else to lose. Like, what's my alternative? You know what? I had enough. And if it all goes wrong, what, am I going to be any worse off than I am now? So it's kind of hopelessness. That's what I was thinking. Desperation. But isn't rebelling also kind of a hopeful message? Maybe not hopeful, but if you're rebelling, you at least haven't given up. Yes. You're attempting to affect change. And and I think they are. I hope that something good comes out of this, but I get frustrated and I think, what's her face? The press person for Trump, Kelly, uh, not Kellyanne, the other blonde. Kaylee. Kaylee McAlilly or whatever that, that was given. She was quoting MLK, you know, from a speech that was given in the 60s. It's like, you know, that's kind of why people are in the streets is because it's how many years later, 50, 60 years later, and we're at square one. So why do you think people are going to be, you know, all peaceful when it, nothing's changed? Everybody says, let's have the conversation. So we, we put up little tweets, we do the, you know, the Blackout Tuesday thing, and, you know, and we just all go back to our normal lives. Nothing changes. So I can empathize with the frustration. But I'm saying, you know, th- that's pretty interesting to me that it wasn't just a weekend protest and then everybody goes back to their lives. There's something that's, you know, that something's got to change. Nothing has to change. Absolutely not. One of the reasons why it's continuing to happen is that... Nothing changes. Well, not just that, but you got to have two sides to fight. And if you want more protests, then crack down harder. Police forces, and in D.C., federal, 
law enforcement, they all have a choice in how they fight this. You know, you see the the feel-good video that is the closer on the the network news or, you know, the example of, oh, everything's going to be okay. Look at the cops and the protesters hugging. Then I make it feel fuzzy. I don't doubt the sincerity. And I'm not a law enforcement expert. Look, I'm not an epidemiologist. But I'm going to comment on it. You are going to take the rage out of people if you don't want to fight them. And too many places want the fight. We should be really worried, as atheists especially, that so many places, including the federal government, want the fight. And also, I would say the evangelical church wants this fight also. I don't know that for a fact, but it sure seems like it. They don't have any power, though. They're just going to be the cheering section to have it continue. When the Minnesota charges on Floyd finally reach the end, and let's say they actually throw the book at these guys, you don't think that Jerry Jr. and Franklin Graham and Pat Robertson are all going to be just outraged? They're probably our least concern, but they are the cheering section for cops cracking heads. Although, Pat Robinson, kind of not, which was kind of interesting. It's kind of weird when you find yourself agreeing with uh, (laughs) somebody on that side. It's it's very weird. Well, but, you know, Pat Robertson doesn't have the power or the following anymore. He's just kind of off in the margins of evangelical world. What are you smoking? He's on TV Every day, everywhere. Free TV. Yes. He's on at 9 o'clock in the morning in Market 10 at the CBS affiliate. Everybody sees him. Yeah, I know. I dare say that people tuning into that are probably almost as old as he is. I'm talking about the more typical evangelical pastors in the local churches. Those are the ones that have the power, and they have power in collective numbers. If you think anybody has the audience and reach of the 700 Club, you are smoking dope. I'm not defending Pat Robertson, but I will defend his media empire because more people are going to hear from Pat Robertson more frequently than they are from their own pastor. He reinforces what the local pastors say. You know, there's a common theme. Now, he goes off the rails a a few times, but what I'm trying to say is like the Woodstock Baptist Church. I don't know who the new pastor is there now, but that market there listens to everything that pastor says and goes along with his theology, which is is also supposedly the theology of the White House now, the same kind of politics as the White House. Even a small evangelical or Baptist church or whatever, they're listening to their local pastor. So they're giving their pastor maybe even a little bit more credence than they would have Pat Roberts. Pat Roberts is going to probably influence some of that on both ends. The biggest picture to me is what's happening in each and every church in our community that's passing on that message. Those are the people that they're inspiring to get out and vote. Those are the people that are primarily the Trump supporters. So that's where their influence is coming from. So you're still smoking dope about the media reach. I agree with you. The 700 Club is in 96% of the houses in the U.S. 96%. And by the way, CBN News is a legit, for these folks, news source. The 700 Club is a mix of right-wing politics through CBN and evangelical Christianity every day of the week. Nobody's bigger than him. 
I can't believe I have to defend Pat Robertson. Well, I'm out of beer I'm not, too. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing that he's got reach, but what I'm saying is there's so many other things that are probably add-on layers to that, like um, uh, Kelly McEnany or whatever her name is. Every time she does a press conference, she's got her Christian cross worn on full display, so everybody knows she's an evangelical Christian. I'm sure that's by design. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. And then, you know, for Trump to walk across the street, which is, you know, I think we we're going to talk about this, so I don't want to go too far. But, you know, for him to do that intentional message to go walk to a church and then hold up a Bible, that has much more power than Pat Robertson does. So it's interesting how you frame that, because him standing in front of a church with a Bible was about the fifth least egregious thing or most egregious thing about that whole incident. I know, but I, that was his, the whole point of that was to make his dog whistle to his base. I think the whole incident was the point. It was to show force, to show who's in control, and to, like Jeff said, give a message to the evangelical base. I think you can give a message to the evangelical base without basically going in like stormtroopers and cracking heads for no legal reason. And I'm not saying that it would have been any better had they done it during curfew. But these people were violating no law. And a goon squad assembly, a federal law enforcement, basically ran them down and beat heads, including any journalists that got in the way. You're not seeing the evangelical symbolism there. The end times apocalypse, you know, where Jesus comes back riding a horse. Interesting that they used... Uh military on on horseback to defeat evil i I bet you anything q people would be picking up on on this if i'm picking up on it i'm sure they are yeah and you know what it's interesting that that that's the approach that you see it on because i see it more as just a raw fuck you show of force and pushing the line see how far i can go it's funny because you see it one way and he sees it the other way and i kind of see it a, a little bit of both because it wasn't like he went out and said hey guys let's go crack some skulls and then he just happened to hand uh, show up you know and, and hold a bible up in the air the whole reason for the show of force is so he could go down there for the photo op and hold a bible up to send that message to to that particular group Oh, there's multiple layers. Like the other layer, I think, was to make up for his bunker clusterfuck. Yes, because he looked weak. Somebody told him, you look weak. Well, he probably read all the tweets and stuff like that. And go, oh, well, I was just down here checking supplies. I wasn't, I wasn't hungered down. I think that thread of conversation is a useless distraction because his feelings really don't matter. It's what happens. Wait a second. How can his feelings not matter if that is the entire basis and how he deals with everything? Because the institutions that he is using to crack down just had the line moved. He signed an executive order against social media companies because Twitter hurt his feelings. Talking about his feelings? You know what? Even if he wins, you know, unless somehow he really is the devil incarnate and I have to start believing in the devil, he, you know, he'll, be, he'll be dead. <laughs> his lifestyle and the stress. People like that don't necessarily live into their late 80s. I don't understand it because yeah, the president's... Well, I guess I, I guess I do. I think I just answered my own question in my mind. If, if you are the president and you're actually doing the, the job the president's supposed to be doing and you're dealing with the, the stress involved of being the president, it ages you. It just natu- You go in young and spry and you come out. It look, you're in there 
four, eight years, you come out, you look like you're 20 years older than when you went in. It, it, it happens to all of them. Hadn't happened to him. Yeah, he hadn't aged a day. And he looks younger. <laughs> Going back you know, to the to the church backdrop, I mean, there's so many levels there. And, and then he had to circle back and do the Catholic photo op the next day. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't know that much about that John Paul, what is it? Like, is it a museum or what is it that he went to? So it's not a church. Uh, so it was kind of a weird thing for him to go there. I'm not quite sure what that message was. I mean, it wasn't received well by the, uh, what do they call them, Archbishops of Washington? Well, there's one. Yeah, the Archbishop. The Archbishop, okay, yeah. But see, that's the thing, too, is is I, I think he, he's intentionally going to these places that have a theology that's vastly different than the evangelical theology. You know, the Catholics have always been about social uh, welfare and taking care of the least of these, just like the Episcopal Church he went to, you know, the social gospel. So it's just kind of strange that he went to those two places. I got bad news for you, Jeff. Yep. I do. I can take it. He didn't give a shit about any of this. And, and honestly, neither should we. I, I don't care where he stands up in front of. I don't care what allegedly sacred text he holds up in his hands. Well, then why is he doing it, do you think? What I am concerned about okay. is the governmental and law enforcement response to all of this. I don't care if he sacrileges every religion on earth. The fact that the goon squad cracked heads on his account and Washington, D.C. is locked down with a variety of federal law enforcement, including recently the frickin' military. That's the part that is the frightening part. That's the part that hasn't traditionally affected our demographic, but affected plenty of others for hundreds of years. Now he's potentially, or they, it is coming for us. Us being... Us being uh, us being atheists for sure. You got a guy that uses federal law enforcement to clear out protesters so he can do a photo op with a Bible in his hand. Yeah. As atheists, when they come for us, who's going to defend us? I'll let you. I'll let you think on that that response. It'll take a while. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so, so I, my immediate thought to that, maybe I should never give my immediate thoughts to that. So, yeah, what worries me, too, is many of these mainline churches that have a social gospel, in other words, caring for the least of these, peace, uh, love over hate. So, in other words, how he got to this church was antithetical to the Episcopal Church. Everything that the church stands right, for. Exactly. The, you know, that Jesus didn't come to... I can't remember the, all the, the quotes. Get out there and crack some skulls because I love me some Jesus. Right. Yeah. Give me that, give me that Bible. Doesn't flow. Right. So my concern is these mainline churches need us as much as we need them. In other words... I'm, I'm talking politically. I'm talking about voting. There you go. Want to build a bridge again. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to my original statement. Who's going to defend us? Cricket sound effect. That's what I'm saying. I'm not seeing it from that side. I don't remember in you know any of the clips I've seen from those people where they're talking about people of non-belief. I mean, I've seen that on a few occasions from uh, William Barber. Okay. But, but, but I mean, they say it in passing. It's, it's not an intentional handout to say, hey, you know, you guys seem to be in line with 
us, let's work together. There is absolutely no reason for them to say anything positive. On a scale of 0 to 100, it'll benefit them negative 72. What, to join with us? Not to join, but to even, like, we all saw very heartfelt, passionate interviews with the Episcopal clergy from that church. I saw two from the women who were at the church, the rectors, and then one who is the bishop of all Episcopals. I watched all of their their interviews. I saw the passion. I saw the outrage. But as atheist, how far are you down with them? Well, as as far as what? You mean how far am I down? Just in general, is what you're talking. Well. I think we've talked about this before. Is as far as what we all politically align with, I see no distinction between, let's say, the Episcopal Church, since we're talking about that, and humanists. These folks were not talking about politics, though. They were talking about social justice. They were talking about desecrating the idea of Jesus and everything that the Bible represented. They were talking about police overreaction. They were talking about love and charity to your fellow man. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing is wrong with that. But they're going to do it with the imprimatur of religion. And how far are you down with this church? And how far are they down with us? Because to your point... Nobody said anything about people in non-faith, and they never do. Are we digging people that don't dig us back? Well, you know, I think if push came to shove, I don't think they would throw us under the bus. Oh, really? (laughs) Really? Oh, Don, I'll let you handle that one. (laughs) You willing to wake that wager? Yeah, I mean, from the people that I know personally, yes. I I, I would say, yeah, I, I don't How many of them have positions of authority? Mm. Authority, yeah, probably, probably not so much as far as direct authority. It does not take that long to count to none. <laughs> right, we could, we could file this under talk is cheap <laughs> until push comes to shove. And by the way, push is coming to shove in a lot of different places very quickly. And the side that that we are fighting, they don't tend to apologize or give up. They tend to double down and triple down and get more strident about everything. They're not familiar with the mea culpa. They're not interested in accommodation. They're not interested in, you know, negotiation. No, compromise. Huh, what are you, some kind of liberal sissy? Back to our secular perspective. So what do we do then as a disorganized, scattered group that we are? Or is there anything we can do other than... We could start with getting more organized and less scattered, but... Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, kind of goes against the grain. I I think when push came to shove, I wouldn't hold much hope for the majority of religious people to... To ally. Yeah. You can ally, but if push ever came to shove... We would have a better chance of finding an ally in somebody of another... Like, Jews would be like a natural ally, or Hindus, or somebody of another religious belief more than another slice of the same religious belief. I don't know. There's pretty hardcore hardcore people in in both of those groups that... uh, 
That's true. That's true. Well, there's pretty hardcore people in most all groups except for the Janes. But I think just off the top of my head, that was just two that came to mind as as being more on the peace, you know, full side of uh, as far as religions go and and, and brotherhood and, and the yeah, such. But the other thing you have to take into consideration too is these mainline churches as a whole are hemorrhaging members. The younger people are giving up on the church. So it's pretty much gray hairs that are in the pews and fewer and fewer of them. A lot of churches are having to either close or they're going to, or they have to consolidate or partner with another church. So the Episcopal church and things like that, those, they don't have a voice right now anyway, because they don't have the numbers compared to the evangelical church. Which is basically one of the only, well, it's the only Christian religion that's growing. Is that it? What is? I know it's one of the only... Yeah, yeah. Evangel- white evangelicalism is one of the only few slices of religion that's on the rise. I wouldn't necessarily say it's on oh. it's on the rise. I would say they're dying a whole lot slower. It's not skyrocketing, but but they are having yeah, slight they're, they're, growth. they're finding ways to hold on. They would be a good long-term investment. Uh, no, as, as opposed no, it'd to be a, a short term. A day trader stock. No, no yeah. it'd be a short term. All right. Because, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as younger people, they're starting, even younger people are starting to abandon the uh, evangelical church. But I'm saying it's it's their... It's just same thing, but it's just going to take longer. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, they have a lot longer life, shelf life than the mainline church. Hey, which one of your dogs sees the squirrel? <laughs> oh, you hear that? I got yeah, my headset. Do, do, hear do we hear that? <laughs> Right. I mean, the dog barking for the last minute. <laughs> I'm so used to that. Which dog is this? You got the craziest dog names. Which one is That's that? That's probably the the Coco Bunny right there. Okay, yeah. Like I said, the dog named <laughs> yeah. after a beer. Yes, a beer so good you have to name your dog after. <laughs> well, and then our other dog is named Barley Hops. So there's kind of a a beer theme there as well. I'm seeing a, a theme. Yeah, there's a, there's I, a theme I, there. Yeah. This seems like a good point to, to segue. Uh, let me ask you all a question. I was thinking about something earlier. But what would Trump's reaction be if a Muslim leader used chemical weapons or tear gas, you know, which is a chemical weapon, against protesters in his own country to walk down the street to a mosque and hold up a Quran? Oh, but first of all, they didn't, they didn't use tear gas. They used pepper gas. Oh, my God. I'm going to come through this speaker and I'm going to strangle you. <laughs> I'm going to strangle you in your headphones. <laughs> That's not the point, though, but thank you for splitting hairs. The, my next thought was, how is the Muslim world viewing this action? And was that the reason behind the whole thing? Could that possibly be, be it? What? I don't get where you're headed there. As far as how other countries are viewing us when they see our leader have a goon squad clear a, a, an area so that he can go to a church and hold up a Bible, how would a Muslim living in a Muslim country see well, they that? Would how say, would a Muslim hey. leader in a Muslim country – could that possibly be the reason behind why he did this? No, to, he's he, too stupid. This may not have been for he's us. He's too stupid for that, but I'm saying they would, they would applaud it. Way too much reading in. Okay. All right. I'm giving him too much credit, you think? I think a lot of the stuff is just people on his staff are just going, hey, man, you know, and they just talk some shit in his ear and he goes, yeah, 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 and just kind of runs with something. And that's exactly, exactly why you should be concerned. 
Because when he's he's dead and gone, he's a puppet. The, not a puppet. He is the vessel for this fascist, authoritarian, Christian nationalist wave. I guess in that case, he is a puppet. But it's mutually beneficial. He gets his ego stroked and rich again. His DA has railed on militant secularism at, of all places, Notre Dame. Right, right. The liberal baskin of secularism. Exactly. So I get the outrage over him holding up the Bible. It wouldn't have been any less ridiculous if he had a Quran or some other sacred text. It's what he did to get there. Do you think, Jeff, since you're the evangelical whisperer here, (laughs) do you think that they cared that he was standing in front of an Episcopal church? The who cared? The evangelicals? Yeah. The Episcopals aren't their buddies. No, exactly. And that's why I'm... uh, How they would... see it would be that he's kind of showing that my side believes in the Bible. Bible believing is kind of an evangelical term, a Bible believing church. And so I'm in front of a church that is not Bible believing. No. And, you know the res- and the response no. to it. Yes, yes. You think they'll no. read that much into it? Oh hell no. No, listen. The no response way. to it when they started inter- interviewing the rectors and all that kind of stuff, just simply reinforced that move. It's like, yeah, because those guys believe in the social gospel, which they see as atheistic. To the evangelical, that church is an atheist church. I'm serious. It's a blasphemous. It's heretical. Why would this not be a bad thing for him to be doing this in front of this church? To them, why is this still looked at as oh, this is you know great man, you know all about the Bible and you know, all the rest of this bullshit? Doing it in front of you say would deem. I don't think they read that much into it, but if you say they read that much into it, they deem that as a heretical site. Any evangelical sees the mainline church, any church that believes in the social gospel, is heretical. And they've used a term, I think uh, Robert Jeffers has used this term before too, and some others, that they're atheist church, they're secular. So why would that not backfire on him against his base? If you're saying that's what they see... Because he didn't say anything. Yeah, he did. He said, it's a Bible. Is that your Bible? It's a Bible. They threw him the biggest softball. He lies about everything. He could have been, it was my grandfather's Bible. He gave it to me on his deathbed. I treasure this amongst all the things that I own. This is the most precious thing in my world. Uh, He's not that smart on his feet. Oh, do not underestimate him on that. He's very quick on his feet. They threw that softball at him and he whiffed the fuck out of it. It's a Bible. Hey, by by the way, he doesn't whiff very often. And don't get me wrong. Jeff, I am not saying he is some kind of rhetorical genius, but you think of the things that he deflects from sheer will of ignorance. Almost everything, like literally almost everything. He's got a basic ass retort that never, ever sticks with him for almost everything. So you think this Bible believing church, when he's holding up that Bible and they ask him if it's his Bible and he doesn't say yes. He says it's a Bible. Do you think they care about that? They being evangelicals? Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. He's holding up a Bible. Mm. It's a dog whistle to them. 
There's an underlying message. He was saying one Bible's no better than any other Bible. This is It's got leather on it. It's got to be good. It's got crinkly pages. Not a lot of people know this, but the red words are what Jesus said. Everything that he just learned five minutes ago is not a lot of people knew, knew, but let me let me fill you in on this. Well, and then back to your your uh, question on on this, Don, is like, so how a Muslim nation would have seen this is like, yeah, probably not real excited about it because it's showing that, that he's... Um, they understand the message, I bet you. No, what I'm what I'm saying is is they see oh so this is a theocratic a religious a fight. theocratic yeah. nation like that's we what, are that's exactly what I was saying was that the message he was sending to the Muslim world I got news for you this is not news to them there were no Bible term revelations in him <laughs> holding up that Bible I think they knew exactly who he was and who his who his administration is. Or about. But it's never been this blatant. It's never been this just in your face, obviously. Like, so, like, all, all they would do is they're not even attempting to hide it anymore. Right. There's no big shock in the Muslim world. Mike Pence is his VP, and Mike Pompeo is his Secretary of State, and William Barr is his AD, uh, Attorney General. So, no surprise there. You know, that's an interesting point to this, though, is like, so where was Pence when this was going on? I don't have an answer. I'm just kind of, it's like, that was kind of strange. I, You know what? I have not thought of him in a week. Since he was here in Atlanta for the Ravi Zacharias thing, which he paid for with government money to go to a evangelical funeral. An apologist, somebody that's definitely against us. We taxpayers paid for that trip. Ain't that nice? I think we should be more concerned of collective government power on atheists, not the fact that an evangelical thinks we're all going to hell. That's not news. If they're cracking on peaceful protesters using federal law enforcement when these people were doing nothing wrong for the president and his cabinet to stand in front of a church. If you're not an atheist and don't take that message as a potential threat, then I don't think you're paying attention because to the point over the no surprise to the Muslims, we all knew what they were about, but now they're becoming emboldened and more blatant about it. And, I, and look, I don't like to think about this, but when they come for the atheist, who's going to stick up for us? Right. Yeah. That is a little concerning. It is hugely concerning. And obviously, that's a potentially extreme example. But we're almost four years into this. How many more times are we going to allow ourselves to be surprised? There's no bottom. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is This week in this demonstration that, that Trump did was a turning point for me. Is like our country is lost. If Even if Biden is elected, I'm not sure that we're going to really get back on track. I'm really not. I'm nothing against Biden. I'm, I'm just saying that the civil war that we're in that Trump has magnified, that's not going to go away just because Biden's elected. And they're the ones, that's the side that believes in the uh, Second Amendment. That's the gun one, right? And so I'm afraid that it's going to actually get more violent if he is elected. Because the other thing that made me really worried, too, is these military, police, whatever you want to call them, followed orders. In other words, they didn't say, I'm going to do what to these innocent, peaceful protesters? Fuck this. I'm off this horse. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? So you, know, you wonder how, how Nazi Germany did the shit they did? Because they just blindly followed orders. That's what these guys are doing. And it had to start somewhere. You know, there were lots of people in many years 
years of time gone by where they say it can't happen here. And that's probably been the most distressing and depressing part about it. My wife will tell me that I I look too far in the future too often. I can, and I do. But there are times, though, that, you know, I look around and I'm like, we're not paying attention. And this week was eye-opening in a lot of ways. But the fact that the police and federal law enforcement and presiding administration, they put that military helicopter. Seriously. Yeah, that was an intentional tactic they use in war to intimidate the citizenry. Right. But it's Americans. Right. Yes. It's us. Depending on the situation... Sometimes it might be necessary in a war, but this isn't a war. It, what's the the analogy from Jurassic Park where they're like the raptors testing the fence? And all of this seems to be a government testing the fence. Cracking heads and ridiculous curfews, militant cops, military guys guarding the Lincoln Memorial. Some of the pictures and the, the, the videos are horrifying. And it's happening everywhere. And I don't see it ending well. And see, that's the other thing. There was that survey by Reuters. Reuters. Reuters, I'm sorry. Reuters. Reuters. That one too. Yeah, both of them, they worked together. It was it was a joint effort. Yeah, it was supposed to be good news that 56% of Americans disapproved of Trump's actions. Do the math on that. How many people think, yeah, that's all right. So 44% are, are watching the, the news of the last week and going, I'm cool with that. Okay. Or, you know, they're apathetic because I think that was part of, if, if you dove down into it, there's quite a number that like, oh, I wasn't paying attention, which is another part of the problem. So to me, like this stuff that we've kind of seen, like the new low, the new low, the new low, this is like the uh, the pot on the stove with the with the frog. You know, if you just gradually turn up the heat, notch by notch by notch. You know, so we're getting used to it, like this is a new normal. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is there must be some rationale behind this. And it's like, okay. So yeah, so inch by inch by inch we're becoming an authoritarian country, a fascist country. I saw today Salman Rushdie tweeted that he has seen the rise of more than one dictatorship and America needs to take notice. Yeah. And there's somebody like that all the time. Gary Kasparov, the chess genius, talking about this for years. Well, Madeleine Albright wrote a book on this very subject about fascism, you know, because she's lived lived under those kind of uh, governments. And do we pay attention to that? Eh, whatever. That's not us. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're a democracy. We're not going there. What's the pablum? Like, we'll get through this or it's all going to be okay. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, that Biden's going to fix it. And no, no, not not even not even Biden's going to fix it. But, but just we're better than this. It's going to be okay. I mean, maybe... Uh, but also maybe not. When I see that, it feels like people think there's this guarantee and there are no guarantees. Well, and then you just can sit back and it will magically happen. It takes no work on our part to make sure we have a good outcome. They will take care of it. I think sometimes, too, there's a frustration that you can't do anything, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that way. Well, yeah. I mean, like, if these protests don't elicit any kind of change, we're, we're basically fucked. Oh, it may elicit a lot of change. Not the change that they're looking for. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's the change so far we've been seeing is, is more and more militancy. Well, not everywhere, But it doesn't seem to be slowing down in D.C. After a few days of hell, you did start to see more of the, in certain places, 
cops kind of not throwing gas on the fire. And who creates the violence, the protesters or the police response? Well, it's like one protester sign I saw that said, to find out who shows up at a protest wanting to have a riot, look at who's wearing the riot gear. For sure. And that doesn't mean there aren't assholes that are trying to, that are just there to, to mess things up. Agitators. At, yeah, like people on their own trying to raise hell and then agitators trying to trying to motivate a political outcome. I mean, it, get, it, get, it gets messy. The protesters get lumped in with the agitators and it makes it easy for the people that are aligned with the powers that be to justify, oh, it's just a bunch of hoodlums, bunch of bunch of thugs. You know, they're just out there to get a TV. It's easier for them to justify it. I don't think that things like ACAB are helpful either. And I'm sure if I expressed this on social media, I'd get trounced. The shitstorm to follow would be... Biblical term, it would be of biblical proportions. <laughs> truly, <Yeah. laughs> truly, it would be like the it'd be like the Great Flood. Wait, a ACAB is uh, I know it's an acronym. All cops are bastards, or all cops are okay, bad. Yeah, yeah, and so that's like the the flip side of uh, one bad, you know, a few bad apples. There are actually quite a few protests out in suburban Atlanta in places that you wouldn't expect kids, local folks, and there was somebody. A kid in the heart of East Cobb with an ACAB poster. Like, that's, to say that doesn't mean it is a CAG, all cops are good, because we know that's not true. Blanket statements are, yeah, I was going to say blanket statements are to be avoided whenever possible, which is a blanket statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, I think you guys know what I mean. You can't even have a nuanced conversation about it without putting your foot in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it gets back to uh, a big part of it is in police training. So I'm sure there's there's people that enter the police academy with good intentions. I think the majority of them do. Yeah, but I'm saying I, if the training doesn't teach you tactics of de-escalation rather than an escalation. It'd be interesting to go th you know, to, to talk to somebody that's gone through training and all that just to find out exactly what goes on. But I mean, knowing how the brain works, when you're in a situation that is potentially violent, like a lot of these protests might be as they escalate, you're not always thinking with the clearer mind. So you're kind of in that fight or flight kind of mentality. So I would hope during training they have methods that help you kind of override those natural tendencies. Boy, you are you are uh, liberal. Oh. <laughs> you are liberal. I said I if you, hope. If you think I said I if hope. you think that education is really the issue, and that if they just were trained better, and by golly, they had different types of classes, we wouldn't have this issue. I'm not issue. saying that's, that's the solution. <laughs> I'm saying that's part of the problem, I think, is you know inadequate training, where a lot of these guys are just kind of put out there without having a lot of tools in their tool belt. But I don't think that's the issue. Well, I was going to say, and I don't even know if I want to even get into this, but one of y'all, I think it was one of y'all, too, that posted a video to, to our little signal group of... When they were talking about in Savannah, in Savannah, Georgia, beautiful coastal city, they had two rows of cops in riot gear that were marching out to go to Savannah to to help. You know, and I noticed that actually was posted by the State Department of Corrections. So those weren't cops. Those were probably more than likely recent graduates of the state's prison guard. Uh, A whole academy. lot different training and, for that. 
completely different training than what a cop gets. Uh, a prison guard is completely different layer of, of law enforcement. And if that's what they're sending to Savannah to help, <laughs> you know, with crowd control, no, that's definitely not right. They're not trained to, to quell civilian unrest. You know, and are they going to see? Are they going to see everybody as a prisoner? Conflict resolution isn't on their docket as far as the training goes. Chokehold, you got a lot of chokehold classes, bum rush a cell classes, but but not a lot of de-escalation classes going on down there at the old academy. They're part of an organization that wants to do what it's doing now. Even if they had better training, that would mean they have leaders that are looking for a different outcome to policing, and in too many places. They came looking for a fight, too. And what do you know? They found one. That's the outcome they wanted. There were definitely people there that were there that probably believed a cab and were there to cause trouble and make life miserable for cops. For sure. Absolutely. But at some point, the cops response in too many places has been way over the top. Yeah, and what I, what I don't get about that either is they know, they have to know that they're being videoed, if not by the media, by individuals with their phone with the video camera on it. They think that's probably okay to do this stuff that is legitimate. You think the guy that killed George Floyd didn't know that he was being recorded? That's what I'm saying. So he thought what he was doing was legitimate, that it was okay. No, no, no but yeah, legitimate might be kind of a strong word. I would say impunity. What are they going to do? Exactly. I don't do it. I think he thought it was right, possibly. Uh, and he had gotten away with all kinds of other things prior. You know, it wasn't like a first-time offense. But he probably didn't think it was going to trigger this kind of national outrage when he did it, obviously. I'm sure he no, didn't. No, absolutely not. I I'm sure he didn't. Yeah, hindsight 2020, I think he probably would have acted a little differently, you know, that day. The police response has been to defend the police. Yeah. And... It, uh, by any means necessary. Well, and even the thing in the uh, the AJC, was it four or how many cops they, they fired? And then Paul Howard brought up charges. And there's some controversy about that thing. He did that for political reasons. But is is like at what point is, do they have to actually do these victims have to actually die before you bring them up on you know, the, the police on charges? Because that was... On live video also, live live TV, and it's been replayed and shared all over the place on Twitter. Those cops definitely crossed the line, way over the line, on how they treated these people. It's like they should not be not only policing, they were fired for that, but it's like they should never be in policing again. Right, but that's exactly why the people that are marching in the streets says, about fucking time you paid attention. Because that's regular life. For too many people. Without the video cam, yeah. Did the cops that killed Philandro Castile? They didn't go to jail, I don't think. And he had a permit for that gun. And he got shot in the passenger seat of a car. So I, I would hold, I would I would not hold a lot of hope that these guys, any of them, are convicted. I'd be shocked if they plea. There's nothing in it for the DA to do reduced charges. Because that's just another example of, of the system protecting its own. I think the state is going to want to make a statement with, with this because it's going to be front page nude, not just in Minneapolis, but nationwide and to some extent worldwide. This trial it could be the next OJ trial. 
talking about you know the local situation too had um paul howard not pressed charges what would have been the reaction from the protesters about that is like oh i see i see how this works so you're gonna fire that's good but that's not enough it's a good first step but this is a this is a group that has you know historically favorable relations with the prosecutors everywhere in america right everywhere they need each other yeah, it's supposed to be a pretty good working relationship, right? I, I, yeah, one, one yeah. could even call it super cozy. There was a very good episode of the, of the Daily this week with an interview of mayor of Minneapolis. And that was one of the things that he talked about. One of the issues is that the way these labor contracts are written with the police forces, if you are either a mayor of a city that wants to come in on a, a ticket of reform, you're hamstrung. You, can, you can't do anything. If you're, if you're the chief of police of, of a police force and you want to come in and you were hired in to clear house, you just can't do it. The way the contract with the police labor is, the powers that be that want to be a reforming force, the system's set up against them from the get-go. Wow. I'll have to listen to that, that podcast. I could start that off as a, as a recommendation. Depressing, though, because that kind of indicates that what kind of change are you actually going to be able to have? Well, pretty much any, any podcast that is dealing with current news is going to be depressing. So. <laughs> Do you do you have a uh, do you have a recommendation? Yeah, we got a book that uh, you want to throw out or anything. Wrapping this sucker up. Have we solved it all? Did we solve it? We could stay here all night. (laughs) So two of them are not related to this discussion. They're kind of back on the on the coronavirus. Oh, oh, that old hat from last week. But but actually, the protest kind of kind of thing kind of raised that cautionary flag with me is like so are there going to be increased outbreaks from protest people being in close contact this is a recommendation no but i'm saying <laughs> you know we, we we cannot shove the covid thing on the side and forget about it no it's still going on the, the virus still doesn't give a fuck about social right. injustice it's it's still spreading so my two recommendations on the covid area are their podcasts and they're also on youtube and these are one of them uh, is is you know very technical kind of over my head but if you want straight scoop and what's going on in the virus not filtered through the government these are like experts in the field which is where i want to kind of learn stuff um one of them is called jama network g a j a m a on youtube which is the journal of the american medical association and they put out stuff like almost every day it seems like and then another one which is really interesting also is this week in virology virology and that's also on on youtube and podcast format and then then the last one i want to recommend um is a podcast called friends like these which is on the the crooked media the people that do um pod save america Pod Save America, yeah. And so she's doing a series, which is kind of interesting, on converts, how people are converted and change their minds and things like that. So she's interviewing experts in the field on how the brain works to change minds and and things like that. So as, you know, as far as an atheist perspective, it's kind of an interesting conversation. So the latest episodes have been strictly on that. That's my recommendation for the week. Sounds very interesting. You got anything, Jerry? I do not. Uh, I got something. I stumbled across a, a new show for me 
This is right down your alley, though, Jerry. You might want to go ahead and sharpen up a number two pencil for this one. It's called Beforeners. It's an HBO Europe show. It takes place in Oslo, Norway. Best way I can describe it, it's like the exact opposite of The Leftovers. Where The Leftovers, you had 2% of the world's population just suddenly disappear. This is people are appearing on the shores of Oslo, Norway at the rate of about 1,300 a year from the past, but from three distinct periods of the past. The 1900s, the Viking times, and, and not like some dude living in Cameroon during the time of the Vikings, like actual Vikings from the time of the Vikings. A little more rough around the edges than the type you would see on TV. Yeah, and people from the Stone Age. And the show takes place, like I said, in Oslo, Norway, and it's seven years into this global event that is happening all over the world where people from the past are just suddenly showing up in the present. How society has changed to deal with this, and it's a murder mystery with a buddy cop theme of a cop, present time cop, who is partnered with the first Viking graduate of the police academy as a detective. It's, and like I said, it's called Beforeners. Beforeners. And it's Beforeners. Yeah, great name. Awesome name. Like I said, it's made in, it's filmed in Oslo. It is in Norwegian with subtitles. But it's, it's awesome. Six episodes, first season. I really do hope they have a second season. Very similar to uh, Parasite. Quick recommendation, if anybody hasn't seen Parasite, watch Parasite. Five minutes into it, you absolutely forget that you're reading subtitles. And it's funny, I one thing I noticed halfway through, I think the second episode, was that the good, really great thing about watching a show with subtitles is you can't kind of listen to it for 10 to 15 minutes and check your Facebook and your Twitter. You have to pay attention the entire time. Good recommendation. I will do that. We didn't sell shit, but uh, we'll see you in two weeks. (laughs) Take care. Some of them at the party and the devil is my friend.